Welcome. This is the Woodbury Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. We're glad that you tuned in, and if you'd like to know more about our church, you can find out all the information at woodburychurch.org. Or we'll see you some Sunday, Sundays at 10 a.m. Looking forward to it. We're in this series about mental health, but you can't just crack open your Bible to the generalized anxiety disorder section and see what it has to say. You've got to do a little bit of work. So, for example, David, the the author of many of the Psalms, doesn't say, hey, everybody, I've got anxiety. He writes stuff like Psalm 116.3, the cords of death have entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. That's the language he gives. But if he said that to his therapist, they would pull out their little notebook and make some notes. Like, I think, I think David needs a little help. Maybe he needs a little medication. Job doesn't say, hey, I have PTSD. I have gone through many difficult traumatic situations enough to last several lifetimes. He just says, Job 10.1, I loathe my very life. Therefore, I will give free reign to my complaint, and I will speak out of the bitterness of my soul. And some of you even going through hard things are like, that is a little much. But I guarantee you a psychiatrist would look at that and they would say, I think Job is suffering, and here's the language we would give to that. So there's no Bible index, but it doesn't mean that the Bible doesn't have something to say. It just takes a little bit of work. And we've been really blessed to have elders who spoke into this from experience and from professional perspective. It's been, I think it's good. And this series so far has been about mental health from the first person perspective. So what do we do or how do we think when we are the ones suffering from those things? How does that relate to our faith? How does that make us live and feel? But there's an additional question that we have to wrestle with. Okay, but it's not me dealing with that. It's someone I deeply love. What do I do when someone I love is suffering? Now, if you read the Psalms, we just referenced one of them, but if you read the Psalms, they're all over the place. I mean, David has some high highs and some low lows. He's rarely in the middle. These are the kinds of things he says. Psalm 100, verse 4, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving. And that is happy, clappy David. That whole psalm is like, I'm excited. Life is great. Life is grand. The sun is shining. It's beautiful outside. It's wonderful. That's David in those moments. And then in Psalm 88, verse 18, the psalm closes with darkness is my closest friend. That's the end of that psalm. We don't know if it's David, I should say, but the psalmist who wrote that. Uh, Or Psalm 23, verse 4, acknowledges hard truth, but it's hopeful. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's the King James Version. I will fear no evil. I'm acknowledging this hard thing, but here's my perspective. Here's my eternal perspective on it. Walter Brueggemann is a Hebrew scholar, and he writes about the Psalms and how we're supposed to think about them. Hang with me here, because some of you are like, oh boy, some scholar. Hang on. This is going to be helpful for mental health. I I like what he says, uh, because he says that there's really three different kinds of Psalms, three different categories. There's Psalms of orientation, meaning these are my ideals, these are my expectations. Then there's Psalms of disorientation, like what is happening here? And then there's psalms of reorientation. Oh, okay, this is how I want to think about it. This is how I should. Now, I have found this particularly helpful for thinking about mental health, both for myself and for uh, my loved ones, uh, to think about it in these three ways. So orientation. 
Orientation is about our expectations and our ideals. For example, when, when you got married or before you got married, you had some expectations and some ideals about marriage. You thought it's just going to be moonlit walks on the beach hand in hand every single night. I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but you, you had high expectations for what it was going to be. Your husband would communicate clearly. You would always understand what your wife needed. It was always, you didn't understand why these old married couples had such a hard time because it's not that hard. Just get along and love each other and you just will do that for the next 45, 50 years and it'll be great. Your kids, before you had kids, you're like, parenting, it's going to be so awesome. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to experience the joys of life through the perspective of this beautiful little child that never is sick and never has snotty noses and never needs anything and never cries in the middle of church. It's going to be wonderful. Parenting is going to be so easy because my kids are just going to listen to everything I say because I'm so wise. And me and my spouse are always together on everything that we think and do and the ways that we parent. Or your career, it's just going to be an endless trajectory of purpose and, and promotion until one day you're president of everything. Now, those are the ideals, and that's the way we think things should be. I wanted to illustrate how we think about the orientation, the ideal, the expectation piece with a stock photo of people we do not know that I think exemplifies what we're talking about. This is a great picture because <laughs> this would never happen in real life. <laughs> Can you, now, some of you are like, oh, no, no, no. I set my toddlers on the couch or on the counter while I'm cooking all the time. <laughs> Do you? Because you should let people know before you invite them over to eat whatever you've cooked. That's, they're not going to wonder. They're going to wonder about that. Your kids wake up at 4.30 a.m. and you're exhausted. And you and your spouse said, no, we are not going to let our children watch screens. But at 4.30 a.m., your willpower is not so strong. And you just want a couple more hours of sleep. And so, yes, you give them the iPad with whatever the show is. And you just long for another 30 minutes, another 45 minutes before you have to get up and start the day. And they want breakfast. And are you cooking breakfast together? No. If you're like my wife, you don't want your husband around. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's not helpful. The kids aren't helpful. Nobody's smiling. Look how clean that counter is. This is not reality. It's a beautiful thing, but it's not real. And I'm not saying it can't be, and I'm not saying it never is, and I'm not saying it shouldn't be aspired to, but if you experience moments like this, experience them as a gift, a temporary gift that comes and then goes away very quickly. Do not experience it as the day-to-day -day because you're going to suffer because that isn't day-to-day -day life. It's a beautiful thing, but when you hear people talk like this, you're like, Ugh. it's like they're heading for a car accident and you can't stop them. Like there's nothing really you can say to say like, no, life is a little harder than that. And I don't want to knock idealism. Idealism is a wonderful thing, but man, this is not breakfast, man. It, it, by the way, I, I thought about telling you about our morning routine at the Doherty household. And then I thought, no, it just depress everybody and make me look like a terrible father. So I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, the kids do not always get a lot of nutrition. Uh, I know we're usually running out the door about 15 minutes after we were supposed to calmly walk out the door hand in hand singing Jesus songs together. It's not, it's not the way we want it to be. Those moments are a gift. For most of us, it's, it's, it, there, there is a period, and sometimes this is a long period of dis orientation. And, and I have a picture that exemplifies that. This is the collision of expectations and reality. And I know some of you are looking at that and like, that's actually pretty clean for our kitchen. And I, me too, I do the dishes at our house and well, yeah, that's what our sink looks like right now. 
being a parent, being a spouse is way harder than, than we thought. Even if you thought it was hard, it turns out, oh, it's harder. Nobody is happy to take the Christmas photo. Your kids are crying and you want so desperately to just have a nice picture that you can send to your friends and prove that your family is happy. But then their tears, their eyes are red. There's a little bit of snot that you have to wipe. You know, it's just, it's never ideal. It's more, it's, this is real. Life is not what we always thought it would be and what is happening. And this is disorientation. Very few of us expect to live with someone who's struggling with mental health. We don't anticipate that. That's not on our checklist of things that we're looking for when we're looking for a spouse, or that's not on the checklist of things that we're thinking are, is gonna happen when we have children. No, nobody expects it, it's, it's disorienting. In fact, it's, it's helpful to say it this way, let's just say things that are true. Mental health struggles are always disorienting, always, both for the sufferer and for the person that you're caring for. There's, you're always confused. You're always confused. In fact, you don't even realize what's happening for a while. It's disorienting. There's an author by the name of Catherine Green McCrae wrote a book called Darkness is My Only Companion based on that Psalm 88 that we referenced earlier. Um, and it's, for me, it was the best description of what it must be like to struggle with certain kinds of mental health disorders. So she talks about her struggle with depression and, and bipolar disorder. She, she writes this, here's the disorientation. She goes, with my religious convictions about the love and mercy of God, with my belief in the unconditional and free grace of God, should I not be filled with joy at every moment, eager to greet the day with the love of the Lord? I had a new perfect baby girl. I, I was never neglected by my parents. I, from the outside, had a happy and comfortable, indeed, privileged life. Amazing that in this cushioned atmosphere, I should end up struggling on the edge of sanity. And, and so what happens is people struggle with mental health and then they feel guilty that they're struggling with mental health because they haven't been through the terrible things that other people have been through. And then you know what that does? That makes the mental health even worse and it's disorienting and confusing and there's chaos. Lots, lots of people get stuck in the disorientation stage. Right here at church, Every week, we have a cardinal, little bird, little red bird, you know, cardinal, not like a bishop, kind of. <laughs> we have a little red bird outside the building that sees its reflection in the window and continually knocks its head against the window. And I'll be in my office and I'll be like, that stupid bird is driving me nuts. And I'll have to go find where it is because it doesn't just go to one place. It goes to all kinds of windows and attacks it, attacks its own reflection over and over and over again. And I'll have to chase it off. And I wonder if this bird ever hits its head against the window and then falls back dazed and wonders why it has a headache. What is going on with my life? I'm doing the thing that I'm supposed to do, and yet nothing is getting better. I'm not defeating these, this enemy that I'm attacking constantly. And I thought, man, that feels like where a lot of people are with mental health. They, they had this ideal, and they're constantly trying to butt their heads up against this ideal, and they're walking around with a headache. Like, what is happening? What is going on? I'm my oldest child, who is in college, uh, will sometimes call me and say, Dad, I'm not sure where I am. Can you pull up maps on your phone, Dad, and help me out? Sure. So I pull up maps on my phone, and I say, okay, tell me where you are. And then I'll get this long silence. She's like, uh, that's why I'm calling you. I don't know where I am. That's the problem. 
And so she wants me to look, and it's so cool that we have modern technology so I can look and find my friends and I can see, okay, here's where you are and here's where you need to go and you know, here's how to get out of it. But mental health doesn't lurk, work like that. And, and, and the problem is, is not only do we often not know where we are, we often don't know that we don't know where we are. And that's so hard. It's so disorienting because you don't even know how to express to people around you that you don't know where you are because you may not even know that you're wrestling with mental health issues. That's disorientation. And then finally, the third category is this reorientation. Now, before I show you this next picture, we're, we're, we're exploring mental health through pictures of kitchens. <laughs> Try to explain that sermon to somebody. Before I show you this next picture of what reorientation looks like, I just want to, I, I want you to know that some of you are not going to like this, but I, it's true. It's hard truth. This is what reorientation looks like. And some of you are like, wait, that's the same picture as the disorientation. Yes, exactly. Here's the reorientation. Things are still not perfect, but it's okay. But it's okay. That's all right. It's okay to have a sink full of dirty dishes. Your kids will be okay if they have to scrape leftover spaghetti off the plate and wash it to use it to microwave a hot dog. It, they'll live, they'll live. But if you're in the middle of disorientation and moving toward reorientation, sometimes that's all you got and it's okay. Now, I sense in the room, some of you are like, I like where you're going, Patrick, and then you hit me with this and I don't like it at all because I want the picture perfect thing. And that, is not reality. Here's a hard truth. A hard truth is that your life is going to often look like this. Maybe most often, and some of you are like, I would never let my kitchen, forget the kitchen. Just understand that your life is never going to be perfect and ideal, and you have to understand that there's so many ways that that's absolutely okay. That is absolutely okay. You're learning that it's okay. So here's the deal. We don't need any help going from orientation to disorientation. That's an easy, it's a slide. It's really easy and smooth. You went from having high expectations to wondering what is happening like that. It's no problem at all. The hard part is going from that disorientation back to the reorientation. That's the hard part. And a lot of people get stuck. A lot of people get stuck. So I'm talking about... Um, what it is to, to, to love someone with mental health issues. And so I thought it would be way more helpful than anything I could say to bring my wife up and have her share a little bit. I, I just want you to know this is a brave thing that she's doing uh, to talk about this kind of stuff. Uh, because we've had a lot of conversations about mental health, but, you know, to kind of be vulnerable and open up in front of... <laughs> few hundred people is a, is a tough thing. So I, I, I do appreciate you being willing to do this. And one of, I know one of your things is like, we've got to talk about it more. Part of the reason we're even preaching through a sermon series about mental health is because Kareen says, we've got to talk about it more. We've got to be open and honest about it. So um, you have a diagnosis of anxiety and depression, and you take medication for those things, both those things. How long ago did you realize that this was going on? that this was happening or something was wrong? Um, I would say it was probably right around after Liam was born. So probably, well, he just turned 11, so. Okay, um, so we can, we, it's easy to do the math. Every yeah, birthday, we're like, right. oh, that's when it started. Right, yeah. Um, I had previously had regularly 
recurring negative thoughts about myself, which I didn't know was not okay. Or normal. I thought that was normal. Um, and, and so I didn't address that. I only addressed something once it manifested as a physical symptom in my body um, when it felt like an elephant was sitting on my chest and I couldn't sleep at night. So. And you even mentioned that your heart would sometimes my, yeah, my heart, have irregular heart beats. It, it would skip a beat, and that, um, so that made me worried about my heart. So I went to go check on my heart, and that's when the doctor said, well, your heart's just fine, so go to a therapist. And then the therapist sent you to a And then a therapist said, you need to go see a psychiatrist. And we worked through meds, and um, yeah. Can you describe a little bit about what the difference between this is this disorientation piece before we begin to have words and understanding for it? So I probably dealt with that for a year and a half before um, I actually went and got some answers. Um, and even after that, it wasn't like I had a solution or a healing after I dealt with it. Um, and, you know, when I started on the medications, they told me it'll take about two weeks to a month. And I just looked at the psychiatrist and said, I don't have two weeks to a month. But because I had that hope, then I could hold on to, hopefully this works. And then we worked through that medication. That didn't work. So I had to start a new one. And then that was two to four more weeks of <clears throat> waiting and hoping and now, I think for a lot of people, uh, myself included, the, one of the questions is, is you, you know, you want to care for someone who's going through mental health, but it doesn't impact parenting, it does impact marriage, it does impact other, you know, friendships. So do you mind speaking to how you felt like it impacted those things, those aspects of your life? Yeah, so I was very physically and emotionally unavailable to anybody else because I was so tired um, mentally, physically, emotionally. So um, I really didn't have a ton to give in the parenting department, in the marriage department. Um, there were times Patrick would go to things by himself because I was like, I'm not going to go do that. I don't want to even get out of bed, so you have fun if you want to go do that. So um, I know that Patrick um, had to pick up a lot of the parenting slack and um, household slack and all that stuff. Well, you're making me sound good because I, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, some of you are like, nah, I know. Isn't that what you told me to say? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I typed up the notes. So those of you that know me uh, know that uh, this is number seven on the Enneagram, which means that we like to run away from anything that seems tense or difficult. So as soon as the tension and the difficulty comes, we like to make it lighthearted and have fun and, you know, make maybe crack a few jokes. And if you're not wired that way, then you're like, that is the worst possible thing you could do. So believe it or not, I've said some really awful things in some really delicate situations that people still remind me of years and years later. Um, yeah, it's great. So given, given that, and the fact that I, you know, I was, I was disoriented too. Um, what, what do you recall that I did that wasn't helpful? Well, I do remember at the beginning, um, by the way, can I just say this real quick before you say that? I hope you guys love me anyway. Okay. You're about to hear some stuff. This is real. Okay. All right. Just please, 
All right. All right. All right. Go ahead. In the beginning. I remember hearing, we need to figure out what's wrong with you. It wasn't a finger pointing. It was like this, life is weird. I don't know what's going on. I don't know how to handle this. I don't know what to do with me. I don't know what to do with you. Kind of like, we need to figure this out. But for somebody dealing with issues, that did not help me. That made it feel like um, it was unacceptable, what I, what I was dealing with. And, um, and that you were the problem. And that, yes, and, and that I wasn't looking for solutions, because I was. At one point I had seven different doctors, so I was looking for a solution in seven different places. Even saying something like, how can I help, um, was hard for me because I don't know. I don't, I'm just barely, like, keeping my head above water. You know, it's not like I'm looking around like, oh, hey, can you grab that life jacket and throw it at me? You know, that wasn't something that I was able to do mentally. There's more folks, by the way, when, there's, a, there's a long list of things that I did that were not helpful. When, so when, things, when things needed to be done that I was not able to do, Patrick would say, well, what am I supposed to do? And uh, I don't know, <laughs> I don't really care <laughs> at that point. Also something he would say that really uh, messed with me because I'm a literal person, he would say, are you okay if I do this? I'm going out with the guys on this night, or I'm going to go play basketball on this night. Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah, it's okay, but also I'm losing my mind. But that's okay. <laughs> you know. So that was... That well, was and, and as, as the guy, I, I'm like, oh, I asked, and she said, it was okay, it's okay, right? And, and I wasn't doing a very good job of, of like, wait, no, I need to understand the full situations. Reading the room, yeah. <laughs> Believe it or not, we're not intuitive that way. Um, okay, anything else that I did that was unhelpful? Like, <laughs> guys, you should be writing this down, for real. You should be like, don't do that. Well, and I'm just, you know, that's just me. Other people might be dealing with a different thing, and yeah. they need you to ask, yeah. what can I do to help? Yeah, that's the great thing you about know? this. There's no blueprint. It's different for everybody. You know, there's no sp specifics. So is it fair to ask, this is terrible, some of you are going to be like, come on. Is it fair to ask, if was there anything I did that was at least eventually helpful? Yeah, um, <laughs> I think once, uh, you, once you would say things like, um, I get it. When you said that to me the first time, I was like, oh, it validated what I was feeling and it didn't make it like wrong or I need to change it or, and, and so that was really helpful just to say, I get it. Um, not even to go any further, but just like, wow, I get it. Um, and then also, once you got to a place where it was just, it wasn't something that was said or not said. It, it was just a feeling that I felt in our relationship was just um, being accepted as that person, as anxious and depressed Kareen, and not the idealistic version of who I was or who you thought I would be or um, who I should be, that I was just like this Kareen. This Kareen mm -hmm. is loved and accepted completely. Um, whether anything gets better or worse or um, anything like that, that for me was, it was like I could put down that burden of defending who I was and relax enough to then maybe work on some of those things mm -hmm. that would make me healthier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Well, I think it's important to ask too, because we're talking about this in light of mental health and faith and, and spirituality. What, like, what spiritual concepts or verses were the uh, were helpful or gave you hope or or a guiding light? Uh, I remember reading um, Psalm twenty three and reading the line, "He restores my soul," and that I had never read that before. I had read it, but it never hit me as because but I am when I read he restores my soul I just had never thought of God working in me that way um and and it is refreshing and hopeful and um just that God is working in me to restore that yeah um well, I mean, as you can imagine, this is not Kareen's comfort zone, so it's a big deal. So I, I, I do, I know that mental health is hard, and I know that it requires an incredible amount of resiliency to, to work through things and not to stay stuck. And so even if it from the outside doesn't look like that, and, you know, we've been through that, and it's made a big deal. But even for her to get up on stage this morning is a big deal. So, Kareen, thank you. Uh, you can have a seat. I won't keep you up here, but I appreciate it. Let me, let me just give you this. This sentence is a, is a hard-fought battle, and you may not be there. You may need to get there, and it may not look like much, but it's a hard-fought battle just to get to the point where you and your loved one can, can say this together, that, that your whoever, your, your, your parent, your spouse, is fighting a hard mental health battle. And I realize that doesn't look like much because when you're, when you're, when you're making that statement, you've, you you you're just making it, but that may be 18 months, it may be two years, maybe five years of working through something incredibly difficult just to get to the place where you can say that. You can understand that, where you've let go of that idealism and you've realized the sink might be messy for a while. Here's what stuck looks like from the perspective of a person who has been stuck in disorientation. Here's what stuck looks like. Here's, some, here's where some of you are right now, okay? I, I need you to know that, that some of you are stuck right now. You're stuck because you're disoriented, and that's okay. God can restore your soul and pull you out of that, but I want you to see what it looks like. Number one, it's pretending everything is great. Great. How are you doing? Great. That's everything. It's great. How's your marriage? Great. Yeah, how are the kids doing? Great. It's great. Pretending everything is great. Just don't be honest with people. Just don't be honest, and you can stay stuck. Angry, but you're not sure why or at what. You're just upset. Just angry. And thirdly, trying to solve the problems yourself. I want to show you a picture of a moth. This moth is, I don't know, it's got some Latin name, I don't know. But when it's in danger, when it's about to be eaten by its enemies, it spreads its wings and makes itself look like the face of a snake. You see that? It's kind of, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I see it now. That's what it does. That's its, it's called a diametic behavior. And that's what animals do when they're threatened to make themselves look more dangerous so that the, the enemy, the predator, uh, goes away. It tries to pretend to be something it's not to fool its enemy into giving up. One of my children and I had a tense interaction. This has been a little while back. Uh, not that we haven't re recently, but we had this tense interaction. I was not proud of how I handled myself. I was not proud of the words I said or the way that I communicated myself or composed myself. But you're in the moment, and your brain's trying to justify. You're right. They're wrong. You're the dad. They're not. Like, 
And it's trying to rationalize why my poor behavior was acceptable and their poor behavior was not. This is, I, I expected this and I didn't have that and I'm disoriented. In the middle of that, I happened to go to the store. I was like, oh, I can't believe she did that. And I walk into Jerry's just down the road here and at the entrance to Jerry's just to your left is a little Starbucks. And I walked into the Starbucks and there was a dad and his teenage daughter who were just laughing and having a great time together. <laughs> and I saw that and I was like, why, why am I such a bad parent? And why am I so dumb that I keep doing the same things over and over again? And I don't, why doesn't it get better? Why are, why, why are other people figuring it out and I can't figure it out? What I should have thought was, hey, there's a dad and his daughter who are having a great interaction and I go on my way. But what I did with that, I gave opportunity for some voices and some thoughts into my head to make themselves, make the situation seem worse than it was, like the moth spreading its wings. Why can't I get it right? Why am I such a bad parent? Why, what is wrong with me? Here's what is real. I had a bad interaction with my teenage daughter and I should apologize. That's all. But our enemy makes these situations look bigger and worse than they are. Jesus spoke of this in John chapter 8, verse 44. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so, so here are some truths when you're struggling through mental health. It's easy to get bought into lies and get surrounded and wrapped up in lies, but here are some truths. Number one, this is real. What you're dealing with is real. The struggle is real, and there is a way forward. This is hard. It's okay to acknowledge that this is hard. It's okay to acknowledge that without guilt. You need help too. In fact, it's very good for the loved ones of those struggling with mental health to also seek therapy, to also seek professional help for what to do. Um, speaking of, I told you I'd share a few books that I found helpful. These are three, if you care. Uh, Darkness is My Only Companion. It's first-person perspective. She talks about what it's like to have bipolar disorder in a, in, a, in a beautiful, hard way. But it's so good to try to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. Uh, Mark Lukacs, and I'm going to talk about him in a second or share a quote from this, but he talks about his, my lovely wife in the psych ward. I think the title says it all. And then this third book is found so practical uh, when someone you love is depressed. And it's not just about depression. That's what the title says, but it's so practical. You need help. And then finally, you need constant truth. You need constant truth. I want to just share three verses, three verses, and then a quote, and then we're going to be done. Three verses, a quote, and we're going to be done. Scripture uh, speaks both to the disorientation and the reorientation in the same sentences. And I want to show you three verses. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. It's the reality, but God has a promise in the future. Isaiah 42, verse 3, a bruised reed he will not break. And a dimly burning wick he will not quench. It's true. And Matthew eleven twenty-eight: 28, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Both realities in the same verse. He's not trying to deny that life is hard, but he's trying to give you a hope and a future. In that book, the, My Lovely Wife in the Psych Ward, not a lot of books talk about mental health from the spouse's point of view. He just writes about how he met his wife at 18. They got, they got engaged at 23, married, and then by the time she was 27, she was having a severe uh, bipolar 
episode and he did not know what was happening. And he said, I didn't even know who this woman was that I had married. I didn't even know who she was. He wrote about how I had never felt more lonely. And then he felt immediate guilt about his feelings in light of what she was experiencing. But he writes about the one thing a spouse can do. And I want you to want to read what he writes and see if this sounds familiar to you. He writes this, maybe love in the purest sense is about being kind to someone with no expectation of how they're going to respond. And sometimes that someone is your spouse. Sometimes that someone is your child. Sometimes that someone is your parent or your friend. They can ignore your kindness, reject it, or return it tenfold, but you just continue to be kind, and that is love. Here's a person not writing from a biblical point of view, and he has just perfectly described what Jesus did for us on the cross. Unconditional love with no expectation of response. That's, that is the gospel in a nutshell. That's Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the gospel. And so here's what I'm saying to you, and don't think that this is just like trite or, or easy or, or anything. When you are caring for someone who has a mental health struggle, you live the gospel with them. You be kind and gracious and loving despite what you're getting in return. That's what I wish I had known at the beginning of our journey, but that's where you can be now. And to know that you have a God that loves you unconditionally should put you at ease and allow you some room for transformation, even though your kitchen is still messy and you're not perfect.